0: Today's podcast is brought to you by Howie's new book, Paperboy. To order today, go to HowieCarshow.com and click on store.
1: Live from the Aviva Trattoria studio, it's the Grace Curley Show. We gotta bring in a new voice, a young voice, a rising voice. Grace Curly. You can read Grace's work in the Boston Herald and the Spectator.
2: Especially Grace. Grace, stand up.
1: Here's the millennial with the mic, Grace Curly.
0: Welcome back, everyone, to the Grace Curly Show. Donald Trump is on True Social and he's referring a lot to the Eighth Amendment. And for people who aren't familiar, the Eighth Amendment prohibits excessive bail, excessive fines and cruel and unusual punishments. Unfortunately, I'm here to tell the former president that applies to people who are not above the law and not like Donald Trump beneath the law. Here that's his problem. Is like typically yes. Excessive fines, excessive bail, are prohibited, unusual punishments are prohibited. But we're not talking about a typical situation. As Kathy Hochul let us know, this is different. This is Trump. You don't need to worry about the amendments when it comes to Donald Trump. They can bend it whichever way they want in order to get Orange Man. Now, speaking of people who are beneath the law, I wanted to uh, give you guys a little update here on a funny exchange on social media. So Jonah Goldberg was talking about political prisoners in Russia. A lot of people have been talking about Alexei Navalny and his death. And one of his followers wrote back that he cares so much about political prisoners in Russia, but he doesn't care about political prisoners in the United States. And I thought this was an interesting response from Jonah Goldberg. He said, that's because we don't have political prisoners. We have dupes and goons who went to jail for believing the same BS you're peddling here. You're boring and stupid or a liar. And John Daniel Davidson is going viral for his response to this. We've had him on the show multiple times. He said in the delusional alt reality of never Trumpers going to prison for believing something rather than committing a crime doesn't make someone a political prisoner. Going to prison for believing something the regime forbids is actually the definition of a political prisoner. Yeah, but not according to Jonah Goldberg. Um, another thing I wanted to mention here, because we are going to talk to Toby in the next segment, and we're going to take your calls for him, but I wanted to let you know that CNN is trying to do a cleanup here on aisle three, and they're trying to rehabilitate Kamala Harris's image. And they put out this piece that said that a lot of leaders are talking to Kamala Harris, and, you know, they're happy that she's... She's there to kind of help with the chaos that's going on. And it's very obvious to anyone who's been paying attention what's going on here. So here's a little excerpt from CNN. Multiple leading Democrats anxious about a campaign they fear might be stumbling past a point of no return say their conversations with Kamala Harris have been a surprising and welcome change. Uh, the. Harris did a good job fielding those responses, the person added, and deserves credit for it. <laughs> Does deserves credit mean that she deserves to be president? Because I'm not ready for that. I, I need her to take a couple more Q&As with these leaders before we just say, you know what, I think it's, I think it's her time to shine. And as I mentioned before the break, um, Joe Biden and the White House, they're very upset about the New York Times. The New York Times keeps writing about how old he is. They're, they're not, you know, saying it's not true. They just wish the New York Times would stop reporting it. And another headline that has come across my desk today, Gangster SBF, that's Sam Bankman Freed, pictured in jail, poses alongside blood mem- Bloods members who call him weird as bleep. <laughs> Emma, you liked that headline, didn't you? Yeah. Well... I think he is a strange cat. I mean, anyone who's read about SBF, the beanbags, the video games, Zoom calling people who are already in the room with him. He's definitely weird, but it's nice that he's made a a group of friends in prison, at least, that he's not totally alone. Uh, I wanted to play a couple sound cuts here from some Chicago anchors. This is WGN. They're talking about a group of illegal aliens that tried to strangle a man on the pink line. Um, Can I have cut five, please, Emma?
1: Three young men and a teen facing a Cook County judge this afternoon. The four suspects are accused of assaulting and robbing a person on a CTA train Saturday.
0: But in court today,
2: new details emerging. The suspects described as Venezuelan migrants.
0: Migrants. It's code for illegal aliens. Um, Can I have cut six, please?
1: based on details released in circuit court today the four suspects identified to be asylum seekers all four individuals facing the same set of criminal charges one felony count of robbery and aggravated battery by strangulation the suspects are identified as 20 year old carlos carreño carreño 18-year-old Yanir Guasmacare Garcia, 21-year-old Wilker Gutierrez Sierra, and 22-year-old Fernando Loyo Rodriguez. Chicago police arresting the four men Saturday night on the 2000 block of South Pulaski Road. Investigators say the suspects battered a 49-year-old CTA rider as he was on board a CTA train near the 2000 block of South Costner Avenue to make matters worse for the suspects. Today's judge calling the robbery an act of violence. The 49-year-old victim strangled by one of the migrants, according to investigators, the victim entirely losing consciousness as the suspects robbed him. Fortunately, it appears that the victim has recovered from his ordeal.
0: And here's the last part of this news report um, that, again, I'm not I'm not sure this is actually going to happen, but this is cut seven.
1: Three of the four Venezuelan asylum seekers already facing misdemeanor retail theft charges, according to court records, but now facing much more serious felony charges of robbery and aggravated assault. Now, three of the four suspects will remain behind bars, according to this Cook County judge awaiting a trial date. If convicted on the felony robbery and assault charges, uh, immigration experts say three of the four could be looking at the future future possibility of deportation.
0: I'm sure it won't come to that. It, it, it very rarely actually comes to anyone getting deported. And every time you hear about these cases, maybe not every time, I shouldn't say that, but often you'll hear about uh, one of these acts of violence and you'll find out that the illegal alien involved has already had run ins with law enforcement in the past. And can you imagine if people were actually held accountable and and people were charged with things the first time around or the second time around or the third time around, how many of these strangulations could be avoided? I wanted to also let people know that one person has been arrested, this is from the New York Post, after a dramatic caught on video confrontation between NYPD officers and migrants at the increasingly lawless Randalls Island tent city. I think a lot of times whenever you have a tent city, they tend to be lawless. They might not start out lawless, but oftentimes it will devolve into that. The chaotic scene kicked off Thursday when an unnamed individual who was not supposed to be at the facility was asked to leave by officials. According to authorities, it is unclear why they were there or what led to the scuffle. The person in a white T-shirt and dark pants can be seen sparring with several police officers while a large crowd looks on in a video of the incident. Some onlookers eventually jumped into the fray. That's also something I've been noticing lately. The cops get involved and all of a sudden multiple people... The cops are facing multiple people. It's like a gang of people as opposed to just the original person that they were trying to um, get a hold of. Even nailing one female officer in the head with a backpack before the suspect was held down and cuffed. The Randalls Island tent city has been a hotbed for issues. See, again, I wish I could say I was surprised by this. I didn't think it was a good idea from the very beginning. I, I have not been a, a big proponent of any of these tent cities. There was a proposed idea in Chicago. I didn't have a good feeling about that. Neither did the residents of the South Side. They didn't think this was going to be a good idea. But the Randall's Island tent city has been a hotbed for issues since it began housing migrants in August 2023. In January, a 24-year-old asylum seeker was stabbed to death in the cafeteria tent during a, a fight over a woman. Rogue migrants booted from Big Apple shelters have also been setting up an illegal mini tent city outside the site. So a mini tent city outside the tent city and have been slinging weed, according to the New York Post. It's just complete chaos. And the sad part is like the sad part about that that person being stabbed to death. This is all avoidable. Like if we just enforce the law. If we just allow Border Patrol agents to do their job, if we just stop incentivizing this chaos and incentivizing people coming here, a lot of this could be avoided. And, of course, something I always want to mention here is that not everybody who's coming into this country illegally is violent or is hurting people. But I go back to, like, the Skittles theory. If somebody told you that one Skittle in the bag that you bought was going to poison you— or was going to hurt you, would you continue to eat the Skittles? No, you'd probably put them aside. And in this case, we've got to take a pause here and we've got to get some sort of vetting system into place because you've got cops getting the crap kicked out of them. You've got people getting strangled on the train. And that's just the tip of the iceberg to be perfectly honest, 844 500 42 When we come back, we got Toby Leary on the line. We got a lot to catch up with Toby about, and obviously we're going to take your calls for Toby. So get on the lines now. It's 844 500 Toby Leary from Cape Gunworks is coming up next. We'll be right back.
3: Hi, it's Toby from Cape Gunworks. I'm taking all your firearm and self-defense questions every Tuesday. Join Grace and me for 2A Tuesday, Tuesdays at 2 p.m.
1: This is the Grace Curley Show.
0: Welcome back, everyone, to The Grace Curley Show. We kicked off the show today with the announcement from Nikki Haley that she is not dropping out of the race. She plans to stay in it. And she's saying that Trump is the only Republican that Biden can beat. She did not. I don't I don't think unless I missed it, explain how she plans on beating Donald Trump for the nomination, which seems at this point, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Impossible. I think is the best way to describe it. But she's not letting that get in her way. She's not letting logic stand in her way right now. So Nikki Haley announced that she is staying in the race, much to the chagrin of Donald Trump and Senator Tim Scott, and really all Republicans who are just they're at the point now where they're ready for this to be wrapped up and they're ready for everybody to just get behind Donald Trump. It does seem like that is the only uh, sensible thing to do at this point. Joining us now on the line is Toby Leary. And Toby, I wanted to start today. Actually, you know what? I, I do have a question for you about the treasury and their, their attacks on, or their targeting of people who are trying to purchase guns. But before I do that, I think we should just start right with the callers because we have a lot of people on the lines right now. Let's go to Sean. You're up first with Toby Leary. Go ahead, Sean. Go ahead,
3: Sean. Hey,
1: uh, I live in Maine. I've got a friend who lives in Massachusetts, and they have a few pistols, and they want to transfer them to me
3: up here in Maine. So is there any issue with me just driving down, collecting them, and then bringing them back? The... So you have guns, you want to transfer them up to Maine, and uh, your your question is, can you just put them in the car and drive them up to his house? No, no, I, I live in Maine, my friend lives in Massachusetts, he wants to give the guns to me, and so he's just he's just wondering if there's anything that he has to do, or if I can just drive down there, collect them from him, and drive them back to Yeah, uh, if it's handguns, no. Long guns, maybe. I'm not sure what those, if there's any state law in Maine that would prohibit that, like there is in Massachusetts in uh, some cases, but your safest bet is to actually just send them up to an FFL and, uh, just do the transfer that way. But you might be able to, uh, do private sale across state lines. Honestly, I don't know the answer to that, and I, I would say um, err on the side of caution. If there's handguns involved, that's a definite no. You can uh, ship them up to a gun dealer near you, and just they'll, they'll just transfer them into your name. Pretty easy to do, um, so that we do it all the time for people. Hopefully that helps.
0: Thank you, Sean, for the question. Let's go to Harry. You're up next with Toby Leary. Go ahead, Harry.
3: Yeah, uh Tobe, I would just wanna go over the, the law, the the new thing as as far as from my understanding, is they're gonna make semi automatic uh weapons uh, outlawed in the state. And uh basically um you know, I wanna know uh the FF uh, you know, if, uh, if if there were grandfather clause in this that, that you know, I can keep my semi automatic weapons I don't know if there is or not, and it's already passed. I guess it's waiting for finalization in August. Well, no, that's not true, uh, Harry. There's two different bills. One has passed the House and one has passed the Senate, and they are two very different bills. They need to be reconciled in conference committee, and there's a lot of work to be done on that. So we need to keep the pressure on with our state reps and our senators and tell them that we vehemently oppose um, this gun control and they should definitely steer clear of it, uh, especially, you know, the conference committee hasn't been appointed yet. I did meet with a couple of senators yesterday for a few hours to talk about these bills and and basically the nuance of them and how difficult it is for lawful gun owners in Massachusetts to actually navigate this myriad of laws that we have to deal with and they were very sympathetic to that honestly they really the two i talked to yesterday were very interested in trying to mitigate crime with guns and i said we're all on the same page there like the problem is you're going about it the wrong way you're trying to solve drunk driving by making it harder for sober people to buy cars you're never going to solve that problem that way you have to you know take the axe to the root and start punishing violent criminals, and I gave them certain anecdotal uh, evidence of one was that FedEx driver who got six days in jail for trafficking guns illegally in Massachusetts, stealing them and selling them on the black market. They couldn't believe it, but anyway, um, the good news is they're starting to see that there is a problem. You know, beyond it's not just the gun; it's the person with the gun, and it's usually a violent criminal who stole or brought the gun from another state or whatever. And uh, so they're starting to see through education and through an open line of communication that lawful gun owners aren't the problem and they never will be. So um, that's good. We're having some impact in that, in that way. So keep the pressure on. There's definitely no panic yet, right? Don't, don't panic or freak out yet. And there's no reason to, sit here and wonder what we're going to do when we don't even know what the final bill is going to look like. So um, we could sit there with one if what if scenarios till the cows come home. None of that's profitable uh, waste of brain cells, in my opinion. Let's all keep the pressure on the Senate and the House and tell them stop threatening lawful gun owners with incarceration and arrest because we don't jump through a new set of hoops that you just arbitrarily come up with. So um, that. Is the message, and that is the message that's resonating. So hopefully that helps, Harry. Uh, but you don't have to panic or do anything yet. There's no 180 days, no, none of that. So it hasn't been signed into law by the governor. It hasn't even gone to conference committee. So um, I would say we, we're probably springtime, April, May, uh, before that gets done and, and approved. So into the governor's desk. But let's hope that the bill that they do sign is nothing like what it is right now.
0: All right. Very good answer, Toby. Uh, Thank you for the call, Harry. When we come back, we'll take more of your calls for Toby Leary. It's 844 500 4242. Don't go anywhere.
1: live from the Aviva Trattoria studio.
0: Welcome back, everybody. Still plenty of time to get on the line for Toby Leary from Cape Gunworks, who is nice enough to join us every Tuesday. Uh, Before we go back to the callers here, and I actually have a question for Toby that I meant to ask him last week. Let's do the poll question, which is brought to you by Perfect Smiles. Don't be fooled by imposters with similar names. If you're unhappy with your smile, you need to visit Dr. Bruce Houghton in Nashua. Call one 844 Smile or visit PerfectSmiles.com. Emma Foley's on the board. Emma, what is the poll question and what are the results thus far? Today's poll question is, would you donate to Trump's legal defense? Yes, I would. 66% of the audience agrees with you. 34% says no, they'd pass. Wow. I really thought this was going to be closer to a 99 to one. This is A little bit surprising. If you want to vote, you still have time. It's gracecurleyshow.com. Toby, I wanted to get your take on this Senate Banking Committee hearing that was featuring Secretary Janet Yellen. And I'm reading now from the Firearm Industry Trade Association. It says it, it talks about Secretary Yellen's attempt to stall for time during the hearing and how she didn't do a great job of answering the questions. And it also says in this case, it appears that the Biden administration was targeting lawful gun and ammunition purchasers as a target for potential political persecution. It also talks about the weaponizing of private transactions and the instructions from FinCEN, including using certain um, terms like sporting and recreational goods and supplies and keywords like Dick's Sporting Goods uh, among their searches. I'm sure you've been following this story, Toby. What do you make of this?
3: Yeah, I haven't done a deep dive, but uh, nothing surprises me when gun grabbers are in power. They will do whatever it takes. It's reminiscent of the Obama era, era, era. Oh, that was a Freudian slip. Uh, the Obama era uh, Operation choke point, where they used, they leveraged the financial institutions and reclassified a legal and constitutionally protected industry and reclassified us as the same classification as pornographers and the marijuana industry so that banks couldn't lend to them. So they were trying to make us an all cash business and take away um, the ability for us to obtain uh, lines of credit and loans and mortgages from financial institutes and a lot of institutions and a lot of the big banks, the national banks did not do business with the gun industry. And still to this day, there's lingering effects of that with, um, with regards to the, uh, what do you call it, the credit card processors and stuff like that. So nothing surprises me that they're just taking a new twist on this. With, you've seen it already. Uh, there's been signs of it with the credit card uh, classification codes. They want gun stores to have their own classification code where they can track firearms purchases in gun stores and so that that's where this is all headed and uh there's already people who are complying with that or or I think uh in California they've put that into practice in in certain areas so um the fact that the you know federal government is trying to keep tabs on Gun owners in America through whatever ways they can is comes as zero surprise to me. In fact, this state has been doing it for as long as I've been a gun owner. Great. The same Department of Justice, Department of Criminal Justice, is who administers the license to carry. And to me, that always seemed weird. Like, why do you care? Why does the people who keep track of inmates in the criminal justice system also keep track of lawful gun owners with a license to carry. And I think ultimately, the you can infer whatever you want into this. Uh, the tinfoil hat guy would say because someday they're going to make all gun owners outlawed by passing a law, and now we're already in the system. They know where to go. They know what we have. They know uh, how to get it. So uh, I'm not quite there in my thinking on that, but it is very odd that they want to keep that level of detail on lawful gun owners that you don't need to worry about. So unfortunately, they don't keep that level of detail and uh, track of some of the most violent criminals who get released after, you know, countless convictions and are still back out on the street to reoffend. And if all that time, effort and energy that's poured into watching out for Joe gun owner, who's not a problem, was put towards Joe Criminal, who is a problem, the world would be a safer place.
0: Yeah, and Toby, it also says here this is the Firearm Industry Trade Association that they've been pushing for Second Amendment privacy acts. And they actually talk about how in certain states, there are laws barring the use of MCC, which I think is what you're referring to with the category searches on certain uh, yeah. purchases, on firearm purchases. So have you seen this push in certain states to uh, to have the Second Amendment privacy acts? And, and what do you make of that?
3: Um, yeah, there's certain states that are really, really good, strong states for uh, Second Amendment, uh, you know, and their own version of the Second Amendment. Just about every state constitution, including Massachusetts, has a right to keep and bear arms in it. Uh, I think there's only one that doesn't explicitly name it, like like the federal uh, Bill of Rights. But um, so of those states, I know South Dakota is one. Kentucky is one. Texas is always on the cutting edge of protecting people's rights. They actually want, they're the only state that wants to take made in Texas suppressors away from the NFA Act, the National Firearms Act, and out of the control of the federal government who administers that tax on suppressors. So their claim is, hey, it's not interstate commerce, so you have no jurisdiction here. So Texas is leading the charge on that for any made in Texas and stays in Texas suppressor, they say you don't have to pay the $200 tax. And the ATF is like, oh, yes, you do. So there's a whole big fight coming on that front uh in, in courts and everything else. So I applaud all the states that go the extra mile to protect the right to keep in their arms. Uh, there's even states that have gone so far, Grace, to, to consider themselves and deem themselves a Second Amendment sanctuary state. Uh, I believe it was, I'm trying to remember what state it was. There was a state that just passed a law that says that they will not enforce any federal law that is contrary to the Bill of Rights and the Second Amendment. It's marvelous language, and basically they're forbidding their law enforcement agencies to enforce any law that contradicts somebody's right to keep and bear arms. And that is huge, huge. That's what hopefully all of our states will eventually do. And, uh, one of the things that James Madison, who was one of the authors of the, uh, Bill of Rights wrote in his, um, in his, uh, you know, a lot of the papers he wrote on it, uh, the number 49 that he wrote on, you know, James Madison said that the representatives and senators that live amongst the people are of the same blood. And they're, they're the people that are sent to Congress to represent them are the gatekeepers. They are the, they are the ones that need to champion and protect the rights because they are of the people for the people by the people. And unfortunately, we see nowadays, they're the ones who are the actual adversaries to our rights and they're passing laws that infringe upon our rights every day. And, you know, that's the frustrating part for for us when you when you see what government intended and the role of them and their constitutional limitations, and the fact that they don't have the power to do what they're doing and they do it anyway. So that's what's got most of us as lawful gun owners up and up in arms <laughs> pun intended uh, is, is the fact that they aren't doing what they have sworn an oath to do, which is uphold and protect the Constitution. And that, uh, I think, is the most frustrating thing as a gun owner. Is they constantly want to lay the blame of any negative outcome with a firearm at our feet. And I say the blood's on their hands because they're uh, not administering public safety efficiently through punishing those that are responsible for the violent crime in our area.
0: All right. Really good response, Toby. Let's go to Pat. Your next up with Toby Leary from Cape Gunworks. Go ahead, Pat.
2: Good afternoon. Hey, Toby. I just wanted to call in. uh, I've been dealing with Cape Cod Gunworks in the last year. Uh, Starting, uh, we're getting long license-to-carry class with that married couple. What I want to do is give you some props on your staff. My girl and I go down there quite frequently now, and your staff not only provides sales, but they educate us every time we go down. So I just want to give a shout-out to the married couple for the long license-to-carry class, Nicole for the pistol class, Lucas, both Alex's, James D., Jim from Braintree, Chris, they've all been very, very helpful, and we try and get down there from Braintree at least once a month and use the range as well as then visit some other proprietors in the Hyannis area. So your folks are doing a great job for you.
3: Thank you, Pat. I appreciate that. And uh, uh, checks in the mail. <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, I, I do have a great staff. Nothing we do here is, is me, Right we're We're as good as the team that we've built and and that's uh i can I can't say enough good things about the team that was built they They do a phenomenal job, but here's the the best part about it, Pat is they love their job. They love helping people, they love teaching people, they love uh, getting people excited about the Second Amendment about shooting. They are themselves advocates. They don't just look at it as as a job. A lot of people leave careers to to work in this industry that, um, you know, was was something that they considered a job or, you know, a, a career that they were, you know, it paid the bills. But when they get into this shop and they work here every day, they're passionate about it. They they feel they're doing something more than just receiving a paycheck. They are advocating for the right to keep and their arms. They are teaching new people. They're expanding the tent pegs to allow more people in and, and train and make more uh, passionate and responsible gun owners. So, They see the, the benefits of their work every day when they come to work, and so that's how it's been.
0: Yeah, I think that's a really good way to put it, Toby. About expanding the tent because it, there's no judgment at Cape Gun Works. If you're new to it, uh, they're even more excited to have you there because they're gonna you know open your eyes to all of the possibilities and really try to educate you, which is cool. Because sometimes you go into these places and if you're not an expert, you kind of get the stink eye, and that's not the case at Cape Gun Works. Toby, please let people know where they can come visit you, how they can visit Cape Gun Works, and how they can listen to you if they want to learn more.
3: Yeah. Thanks, Grace. Um really excited. We have our um, own podcast that we do every week. It's called Rapid Fire. It, it airs on Wednesdays from 4 to 6 p.m. And we're live. We can interact on the chat. You can also call in. And uh, so you can listen to it later, too, if you're at work or you're listening to Howie and you can't can't break free. I totally get it. You can listen to all the past episodes. We have some great guests. Tomorrow night we have uh, Representative Stephen Ixaros from, uh, the Barnstable District. He's my state rep. He's going to be on the show. We're going to be talking a lot about these upcoming gun laws coming up. So you don't want to miss tomorrow's show. Uh, we also are on WXDK on Sundays from noon to one. And that is on the iHeartRadio app as well. Um, and I do simulcast it on, on my, all my social media channels as well. But please follow us on social media. This is where we need the most help because we are shadow banned. Um, so go to at Cape Gunworks and at rapid fire radio, uh, wherever you follow social media, wherever you get your social media and follow us, give us a like and a share and a comment and it'll help boost us up in the algorithms, uh, that are trying to keep us down. Also, you can come on down to Cape Gunworks. We're in Hyannis on airport road. And uh, we would love to see you and love to show you around. We're really proud of the beautiful facility we have down here. It's 20,000 square feet of range retail and pro shop. Uh, we have a huge inventory right now. I I've said this before, but I'm going to say it again. I think we have more guns and ammo in stock right now than in the history of my company. So uh, we got something for everybody and we're really excited to be doing what we're doing day in and day out. And, uh, glad that um, we're on the Grace Curley show every Tuesday. So we couldn't do it without you, Grace. You're a huge part of what we do here and spreading the message far and wide and uh, in our Second Amendment advocacy. So I thank you for your time, as usual. And uh, we'll see you next time.
0: Well, we're honored to have you on, Toby, as always. And we'll talk to you next week. When we come back, we're going to talk to Howie Carr. I really want to get Howie's take. I I have a feeling (sighs) I have a feeling I think I know what he's going to say when I bring up the challenger to Elizabeth Warren, but maybe I'll be wrong. Maybe Howie will. Will think that this could be something here because I'm getting texts from friends, from people that live in Massachusetts. When I, I just briefly mentioned that Rhode Island lawyer John Deaton is moving to Massachusetts. He just put his house on the market. He's moving to Massachusetts to challenge Senator Elizabeth Warren. Now, we all know, anyone who's um, even remotely familiar with Massachusetts politics, we all know this is a long shot. But I'm still getting messages from people. We're so excited that she's going to have a challenger and that maybe maybe elizabeth warren could be beat here um we'll talk to howie and see how slim the chances are and we'll also ask him a couple more questions about some news brewing in mass so don't go anywhere we'll be right back with the captain this is the grace curly show
1: the grace curly show will be right back This is The Grace Curley Show.
0: Okay, let's hope that Howie Carr is here and he's going to be a little ray of sunshine when it comes to Elizabeth Warren's latest challenger because... A lot of people are very excited about this, and I don't want to rain on their parades. I'm sure it's going to be a long shot. Everybody knows Elizabeth Warren has a stranglehold on Massachusetts, and she is now at this point a national figure in politics. But Howie, Rhode Island lawyer John Deaton is throwing his hat in the ring. Give us your take. Do we have reason to be hopeful?
2: Uh, You know, I think he's acknowledged that uh, he's probably not going to win, but at least he's got money. And uh, I I think he can uh, he can make a better run of it than the uh, DoorDash deal did, you know, in 2018.
0: Yeah, and I think also people just people just want to see somebody go up against her, you know, like people are ready for right. a challenge. Right, and, and
2: you know she's not she's not exactly I would say uh, invulnerable. I think if you look at all the uh, nitwit carpetbagger Democrats in Massachusetts politics. I mean, her her favorability numbers are down at the bottom. Remember, in the uh, 2020 presidential primary in her home state, her home state, she finished third.
0: Third. Yeah, Yeah, well, she's she's so familiar with all the parts of Massachusetts from, you know, Worcester, the West Coast,
2: all the way to to burn from (laughs) from the West Coast of Massachusetts, all the way to burn.
0: Yeah, so I mean, why not a lawyer from Rhode Island? He probably knows the state just as well as she does. Howie, I wanted to also ask you about a story in the Boston Herald that's getting a, a lot of attention. Michelle Wu has a decision to right. exclude thousands of kids from. Yeah, free Amy Carnavalli
2: called her out on this. The uh, Republican State Committee Chairman last week. We we talked about it a little bit last week when um, uh, Amy Carnavalli called her out on it. Well, we'll talk. We got Amy coming on tonight. Uh, the Republican State Committee has been the latest victim of the. Uh, of a hotel turning into an illegal alien flop house. They've been thrown out for their meeting on Thursday night. So I'll ask her about that. You know, again, she was the first one that I saw who uh, mentioned it.
0: Yeah, and, and Howie, the, the reason I think it's so important that she did is because Joe Battenfeld wrote that Michelle Wu loves feel good initiatives and giving away free stuff, but I would argue that as of late, she just likes excluding people. She seems like she <laughs> I, just... I wish
2: she'd give me the computer-assisted dispatch records for her house. If she wants to <laughs> give away free stuff, she can give me that stuff. She's been stonewalling me for. And now she's stonewalling the attorney general on it. Howie. She's stonewalling the Herald on the House of Horrors police incident report from last summer with the dead transvestite drug overdose and the little little boys in the public housing project, the Mary Ellen McCormick.
0: Howie, she wants to exclude white people from the holiday parties, METCO students from the museums, and Howie Carr from the information that he deserves. You, you know
2: why? Because I am, as her spokesman said, 1970s Boston.
0: <laughs> yep.